BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. California renters can breathe a sigh of relief, at least for a while. State lawmakers have approved an emergency extension of California's coronavirus renter protections that were set to expire at the end of this month. They now end in June. Renters who've had their income affected by the pandemic are protected from eviction if they pay at least 25% of their rent. There will also be federal funds available to help pay low-income tenants back rent extending to last April. Governor Gavin Newsom is expected to sign the legislation this morning. Meanwhile, San Diego Assemblywoman Shirley Weber will become California's top elections official. That after the state Senate confirmed her nomination as Secretary of State yesterday. KQED politics reporter Guy Marzarotti has more. Weber will become California's first black Secretary of State roughly half a century after her family fled Arkansas when her father was threatened by a lynch mob. How ironic it is that a girl whose father could not vote whose grandparents never had a chance to vote, is now responsible for 40 million Californians and their right to vote. No legislator in either house opposed the nomination, but all Senate Republicans abstained, including Shannon Grove from Bakersfield. I believe in voter ID, uh, voting purging, and all of those things, because I think that that is something that the people need to trust. And so um, I think that she will do a, a, a passionate, heartfelt job But again, our ideology just doesn't um, match up. Weber takes office after an election in which 80% of eligible voters cast a ballot. To maintain that high level of engagement, Weber wants to continue sending all voters a ballot in the mail. And in a confirmation hearing this week, Weber liked the idea of forcing counties to ditch traditional assigned polling places, replacing them with vote centers throughout the counties that offer multiple days of voting. The legislature could mandate it, and I, I, w- I would probably be very supportive of them doing that. Weber, who is 72, will fill out the rest of Senator Alex Padilla's term as secretary. She plans to run for a full four-year term in 2022. For the California Report, I'm Guy Marzarotti. Advocates are worried that some of the people most at risk of COVID-19 in California, immigrants being held at detention centers, have been left out so far from the state's vaccination plan. KQED's Farida Javala romero reports. State and local governments are responsible for distributing the vaccine to people in federal detention centers, says a spokeswoman with U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. But that seems to be news to officials in the California governor's office, says Orville Thomas with the California Immigrant Policy Center. I think everyone prior to this week was under the assumption that, you know, since it is a federal 
like property that it was going to be up to the federal government. Thomas is on a community advisory group that's working with public health officials to ensure the vaccine rollout doesn't leave vulnerable people behind. And COVID-19 has ripped through nearly all the detention centers in the state. These are lives that are at greater risk, considering what we know happens at these facilities. So if the ball was dropped, then it needs to get picked up. The state has vaccinated more than 8,000 people incarcerated in state prisons, but it's unclear if any ICE detainees have been vaccinated yet. Hamid Yastanpana is with Immigrant Defense Advocates, one of the organizations calling on the state to detail how it plans to vaccinate immigrant detainees. There seemingly does not appear to be a plan in place. He says California has argued in court that it has the right to protect people's safety and health within its borders, even for those who are in federal detention centers. So what we want to see is California exercising their right and ensuring that individuals in these facilities are protected. The governor's office did not return repeated requests for comment, and the California Department of Public Health referred questions to ICE. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero. Meanwhile, advocates for the rights of the disabled are frustrated over recent changes to the state's vaccine plan. KQED's health correspondent April Domboski reports. Because she uses a wheelchair to get around, Ingracia Figueroa has a few caretakers who come to her home to help out. But those caretakers take care of other people, too. So even though I am at home and I'm quarantining and isolating, I'm still at risk for exposure. People with underlying health conditions were originally set to get vaccinated after most essential workers. Now that the governor is shifting to an age-based system, people with disabilities feel they've been pushed out of line. There went the glimmer of hope of survival. For months, advocates have been pushing hard at meetings of the state's vaccine advisory committee for people with disabilities to be moved up. But state officials kept pushing back. State epidemiologist Erica Pond says the data shows some people with disabilities are at three times greater risk for COVID complications, while people 65 and up are at 90 times greater risk of dying. And it just goes up from there. Those people 85 years or older have a 630-time higher death rate. Also, officials say verifying someone's age is easier and faster than verifying their medical history, especially at mass drive through vaccination sites. But Stanford ethicist Alyssa Burgart says the state is sacrificing equity for efficiency. Just because something might pose unique challenges does not mean that it is not a worthy goal that we must, must, must go after. The state's vaccine supply is extremely limited. Dr. Pond says at current rates, it will be June by the time just seniors 65 and over are vaccinated. For The California Report, I'm April Domboski. This week, we've reported on some pretty big changes to how California is fighting the pandemic. From the governor's lifting of the stay-at-home order to new rules for who gets priority for getting a COVID vaccination, we know the changes can still be confusing to people. So we asked KQED health reporter Molly Peterson to guide us through some of them. We started with talking about the lifting of the stay-at-home order and whether counties and municipalities will still have the ability to keep their own stricter pandemic rules. 
They do. The state considers these tier designations kind of a floor, not a ceiling. I know in the Bay Area, as well as some other places, there had been individual things that were slightly different county to county. But as people are returning to these regional stay-at-home orders, what we're seeing mostly is that counties are sticking with these state designated tiers, and they're color-coordinated, the purple, the red, the orange, and the yellow. Another big change this week was that these uh, announced changes in vaccination eligibility rules and who gets the shot first. What's new there? The state is moving from what had been CDC, Federal uh, Centers for Disease Control, originated recommendations about who receives the vaccine in what order. There had been tiers people might have heard about, Tier 1A, Tier 1B, Tier 1C, and Tier 2. That goes from frontline healthcare workers to teachers to food service workers and agricultural workers, as well as the oldest Californians, people over 85, 75, and then 65. The state is basically saying that's too complicated. In the interest of speed, we're going to move to something that actually just gets more jabs into more arms as fast as possible. That's this new age-based standard. The state is prioritizing people based on age, and right now that means 65 and older. But I always thought older people were always, if not at the, the front of the line, toward the front of the line anyway. Was Am I wrong? No, you're not. Older people were at the front of the line and remain at the front of the line. The federal government lowered that recommendation from 75 down to 65, and that opened up a huge flood of people who are looking to get vaccinated as fast as possible. So last week, an official from the California Department of Public Health, Erica Pond, said that at this current rate, it would take 20 to 22 weeks to vaccinate folks just 65 and older. And that's why the state's simplifying, and they call it streamlining their vaccine prioritization process. And finally, let's talk about vaccination equity. Of course, this pandemic has hit black and brown communities so hard. It's hit lower income communities so hard. What's being done on that front to make sure that there's access to the vaccines? The vaccine prioritization process raises a lot of questions about how we define equity, who's most at risk and who's most vulnerable. Older Californians have been dying at a rate far greater than other Californians. They represent three quarters of the deaths. And that's why the state's saying that it's actually making an equity choice by prioritizing older Californians. That said, for additional equity considerations, the state says it can deliver vaccines to federally qualified health centers to prioritize zip codes and neighborhoods where people are poorer or where more essential workers live in more dense housing. As we go forward, our ideas about whether or not this is a successful vaccine rollout are going to depend on how well counties and individual sites adapt to moving quickly and making sure that people receive this in a transparent and equitable way. All right. KQED's Molly Peterson. Molly, thanks so much for being our guide through a lot of these issues. You're welcome. The state auditor has released the second of two reports that dissect the failings of California's unemployment agency. As Mary Franklin Harvin reports, the audit found the Employment Development Department could have prevented losing billions of dollars due to fraud, but it just didn't act fast enough. The audit says EDD had a heads up from the Department of Labor as far back as May that it needed to prepare for more than a billion dollars worth of potentially fraudulent claims. And in July, Bank of America told the agency it suspected more than 60,000 EDD accounts of fraud. 
And still, EDD didn't implement wide-reaching fraud detection technology until October. To make matters worse, the audit says, EDD has yet to develop an effective system for reactivating legitimate accounts once they've been verified. The auditor suggests EDD establish a central unit for fraud prevention and detection and a plan to assess its fraud tools by this March. For the California Report, I'm Mary Franklin Harvin. The University of California's system is breaking records when it comes to new student applications for this fall, including from students of color. UC Berkeley and UCLA both saw black first-year applications increase by 48% and Latino applications increase by more than 30% at both campuses. Across the UC undergraduate system, applications shot up by 16% over last year to nearly a quarter of a million applicants. UC says the elimination of standardized testing requirements and more active recruiting in underserved communities are partly responsible for the increase. And finally this morning, this week our sister show has a very personal story from KQED reporter Auditi Bondlamudi about what it's like living with others during the pandemic when things go wrong. My two roommates and I had been living in general harmony since March, but when the holiday season hit, one roommate wanted to let loose. During Christmas, there was a series of parties in our apartment, and despite the fact that I stayed in my room, we all got COVID. You can hear the rest of that story on this week's California Report magazine. Tune in or download the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And that's the California Report for this Friday, January 29th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin and Danny Bringer, with assistance from Seal Muller. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin, Alice Wolfley, and Holly J. McDee. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great weekend. Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. Hint, fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together. On the web at schmidtfutures.com. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. 
Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! <laughs> 